Greetings, fellow visitors. This is Upgrade Terminal, a Star of Providence fancast. I'm Malachi. And I'm Nick. Welcome back to the facility. Great timing. <laughs> Today we are joined by Mariscan. Mariscan, welcome. Oh. Hey, welcome. <laughs> no, you're fine. Welcome onto the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Would you like to introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, so I guess I go by the name Mariscan online these days. I've been playing the game oh, quite the 2018 or something, like early 2018. I've picked it up. Mm -hmm. I've been with it for a long time. I. Uh, I try to engage with the community every so often, like making the guides. Guide actually just one back when that was a thing, the monorails. And uh, I'm really excited to be here. And we'll be talking about each of those topics later in the interview. But first, we usually like uh, to talk about something nice that happened to us uh, this week or lately. Uh, Mariscan, what's something nice that happened to you lately? Uh, my dog has been sick. Uh, the past few weeks, but she got surgery this week, and now all well, it's like I don't want to get into specifics because it's kind of gruesome. But she's doing like all better now. She's been like running around, jumping, being like all healthy again, and that was basically like the start of this week. So I've been really grateful for that. Well, that's wonderful. <laughs> I know it, it's a bit more dramatic than I read a good book or something, but it's the first <laughs> thing that came up with me. Like, oh, what are you like thankful for? You know, this yeah. week. I'm like, yeah. Well, that's like I've been only thinking about that basically every time uh, I see her. I well, I'm glad that she's feeling better and that you have a healthy and happy dog with you again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's What's her name? Coco. Coco. Okay. Yeah, I've had her like uh, she's she's an old dog now. She's almost twelve. I've had her like basically since I moved from like my old old house, mm -hmm. so I was uh, really devastated when she was like uh, almost going blind basically because of this thing that was happening to her. Oh, but wow. she, uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry to bring it to such a heavy note on what's no, supposed no, to be no. like a gaming <laughs> podcast. <laughs> it's, well, it's no, it's it's got two flavors. It's a little heavy, but then it's happy because things are going much better for Coco now. Yeah, for sure. What kind of dog is she? Uh, a mix between like a, uh, what, the, what actually, okay, so, so the breed that she has is called a double doodle. It's like mm -hmm. a mix between a poodle, golden retriever, and Labrador or something. It's just basically oh, like wow. a white, fluffy, happy dog. It, it, <laughs> it, 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 whatever you have in your mind right now, that's almost certainly it. Uh huh. So when you have been racing in, uh, in the GameStar Providence, is Coco like, there by your side uh I, I think she would get uh, too excited when she starts seeing me sweating she would like come <laughs> over to my uh because she knows when people need a hawk basically like whenever uh, someone's getting like really anxious or like looking around she'll put mm -hmm. like her face on like your the side of your leg mm -hmm. as like a way of like uh, calming you down also to ask for like rubs and you know stuff like that but uh, yeah we believe she does it because she cares so I think I would be stressing her out if I put her next to me, but uh, I do I do check up on her like between games. Like, hey, how are you doing? Oh, nice. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah, I uh, when I was young, my my family had a dog, and I had a similar experience. I, I I was really sad one day. I was like crying in my room, and I didn't normally let the dogs come into my room, but she knew I was sad. She had to be because she broke the rule. 
she came in and she just laid her head on my lap, which was something she never did. And I was so grateful for that. <laughs> so that's awesome mm. that Coco, Coco has that, that ability too. Yeah. Mm. I think that's pretty common around like uh, Labrador dogs. Like they've mm. been, uh, well, we've had her since birth. So she's been trained. I think I, I like to believe because, you know, I did it. I believe she's been trained really well to, <laughs> you know, care for the people around her. Yeah. But uh, it seems to be common. Training's not easy to do, so. No, well, we we actually had a we have a second dog. It's a lot younger, but she's a lot more of like my my mom's pet. Mm-hmm. And she gets like uh, you know she she's allowed to like sleep on the couch. Uh, she's a bit more. Well, I actually forget what the word is, but basically she gets to do what she wants. Pamper? And it's harder to train her. Yeah, that's it. Like uh, up, uh like whenever we want her, like we throw a ball. We ask her to take it back, and then she just doesn't do it because it's horrible. <laughs> You're not getting it. Yeah. Well, that's that's nice. That's great news. We're happy for Coco. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry it took up seven minutes of the podcast, but that's... no, please, it's totally okay. Don't Are worry. You kidding? That. Hey, Coco deserves that. Okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely my belief for sure. But Nick, yeah. is there anything that happened uh, to you this week that you're happy with? So there might be people who kind of know me be like, oh, Nick does a lot of like fast paced tense star of Providence runs or maybe, oh, he did all these Necrodancer uh, record hunt, well, not record hunt, leaderboard ascending runs or a Thumper mm-hmm. Maniac or a Tetris Wiz. And what a lot of people don't know is that a long time ago, one of my favorite things I like to play was kind of these cooking slash uh, restaurant management games and mm. the other day i managed to get a a working copy of a game called diner dash which <laughs> I, it's silly but i remember playing this game like decades ago and i'm like oh man i remember this oh this is so much fun and I had forgotten that it's actually also still really difficult because it starts all nice and chill. It's like, oh, yeah, you just have a couple of customers. You just wait the tables. You send the orders. It's fine. And at the end of the game, there's like, okay, there's 10 customers in line waiting for you. People want snacks. They want their menus. They want their food. They want the bill. And it's like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. It's so stressful. But... I've been enjoying replaying some of these old nostalgic games that I played decades ago and kind of it's really reassuring when you when you remember games and part of you thinks, oh man, I they're lost forever. I'm never gonna be able to play that back. And then you realize, no, actually wait, there are ways for you to replay these games again and relive the memories. Mm-hmm. And it's just been I don't know, it just made me feel happy. To know that these experiences are not gone forever, I can still relive them and other people can still enjoy them. And for me, it's kind of an important chapter in my history of me loving games and exploring games and getting to be better at games, which is something that's quite valuable to me. Hmm. You've been playing a lot of older games recently. I mean, it's like there's so many games and some of them just happen to be old and some of them I just happened to encounter them when I was like eight years old, ten years old. And as much as I like challenging myself and doing difficult things, I find it important to keep reminding myself that it's okay to just play games 
because they're fun, even if they're silly, even if they're of not the highest production values. Mm-hmm. Like the experience of playing them is really the thing that matters the most. So I've been enjoying that a lot, really. You're keeping in touch with your gaming roots. In a sense, yeah. And like, man, like the real thing would be like if I find a way to make Flash games work again. Oh boy, I've wasted so much of my life on Flash games. I can't <laughs> tell you. I was thinking about uh, you mentioning playing The Sims 2, going back and playing a game that you loved in the past. And mm-hmm. the same day I was thinking about that, uh, Nintendo announced they're bringing Golden Sun uh-huh. and Golden Sun The Lost Age to the Switch. And that is something that, you know, you kind of whetted my appetite for going back and playing an older game. I'm like, I'd, I'd like to do that too. And now Golden Sun's coming out. Oh, man, I'm going to I'm going to play the, the heck out of that thing. Are you going to share it with your children too? Um, yeah, I'll try to. We'll see. We'll see if they like it. Right. <laughs> they're they're a little distracted by Mario Kart, so that's fair. Mario I don't know if a, if a Game Boy Advance game can take them away from their beloved Mario. Yeah, but it's like the best the GBA RPG, isn't it? I've heard like great. Oh yeah, good. I'm biased, but it is. yes. I mean, it's it's certainly a flawed game, you know. So if you do go back, if you if either of you play it, keep that in mind. It has like pretty unbearable dialogue, but the <laughs> the mechanics and the graphics, especially for at the time, it was incredible. You know, it was like three mm-hmm. D turn based battles on Game Boy Advance. It blew my little mind. What's something nice that happened to you, Malachi? Well, it's a, a combination of something bad, but that has also been enjoyable. Uh, it's been really, really cold here in Washington this weekend. Cold enough that you can't really do anything outside, at least not for long. Um, and our windows and doors have kind of frosted over. And uh, I've learned which windows are not sealed totally oh. correctly because we've got some frost coming in, forming in the house. <laughs> that hasn't been fun. But we've cranked the heaters and we've kind of uh, just snuggled up in our cozy home and that's been really nice um you know looking at the snow outside through the window is very beautiful so that's been nice just being warm when it's cold outside and i also had a friend send me a package that arrived this week of some drip coffee from taiwan uh Mm. it's a brand a brand called kingship but taiwan has this type of drip coffee that i don't think i've seen in the u.s where they're individual packets and you open it up and you can set it, you can hang it on a mug and then you pour hot water onto it and it filters through there just into your mug. So it's like single serving drip coffee. Huh. Yeah, it's awesome. It's really, really good. And uh, I I made one in the office this weekend. Like all of my coworkers are like, even the ones that don't like coffee are like, what? what is that? That smells amazing. It's like, ah, oh, that's coffee. So Taiwan really, really does coffee well. And uh, next time I'm there, I'm going to have to buy some more of this kind of drip coffee so I can share it with more people. But yeah, that's what I've been enjoying this week. I need to hang out with you because you apparently have the best coffee and I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm always willing to talk coffee. Now if, now, if only you could send me coffee, that would be great. I could send you coffee recommendations. <laughs> Mariscan, what games did you grow up playing? 
well, I didn't have like game consoles until mm-hmm. I was like maybe twelve. I think I got like the Wii. That was like the brand new thing for mm-hmm. me. But I didn't play on that much. I had a really, really cool uncle. Well, in my opinion, cool because what he did, he saw my laptop and he said, "There's no games on here." He just installed a bunch of like old <laughs> emulators, like ZSNES, like the really <laughs> bad old version. If you guys have ever seen that, and. He always was like, yeah, you can play like Super Bomberman, Mario World. So that was basically my childhood. Like, wow, that is a cool uncle. Yeah, he he was really uh, like uh, he basically influenced like what my game, like my taste in games, is even till this day. But then, oh, wow. but I think around I I knew of like the when like indie games like Castle Crashes, like when the first wave of those like power games started to get popular on like Xbox Live. Mm-hmm. But I didn't play them until they came to Steam in like 2012, and that's I guess when I also started with my fascination in like, oh, what are, you know, these old games are cool, but what are people making now? Mm-hmm. That are also a bit more to my taste, like usually very hard games, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And did you play a lot of shoot 'em ups or roguelikes before uh, Monolith, as it was known then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I definitely played roguelikes before Monolith. That's also why I, I love Monolith so much because it's the best one. But it's, uh, I said Monolith. Uh, yes. it's, I guess back then it would have been called Monolith. So yes, yes, it's fine. In this context, it's fine. Exactly. When we're speaking of the the game historically, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I played Isaac. I played Gungeon a lot. I loved Gungeon. Don't tell Pure, but that, that was like the one I played. Hey, I also love Gungeon. I think it it is it gets a bad rap. It's not perfect, but it's better than what the server sometimes gives it credit for. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. Pierre's going to shut the podcast down, guys. Yeah. I dare him. <laughs> you also asked if I played any shmups. I actually didn't until I played uh, Monolith because there were a bunch of people that I started to make connections with, like Extruder, uh, you know, hope he's doing well these days, mm-hmm. who got me into playing a lot of other, like, oh, you like this? Maybe you should try Kitsui. Maybe you should try Greg. Maybe you should try this, this, and this. And I got hooked on, you know, those games. And I kept going into, like, another spiral, you know, that I spent my life in for, like, two or three years. But uh, <laughs> not at the time yet. Like, my, my Monolith at the time was, like, my introduction to Bull Hell gameplay. Hmm. You said uh, Castle Crashers was kind of a, a game that you started playing that made you aware of newer games. Mm-hmm. Do you play more indie games these days? Uh, well, I definitely played more indie games than I play ever touched like my PS4 or mm-hmm. uh, I guess. Well, okay, I don't have anything against like AAA games in general. Sure. I think it's not a helpful way of looking at you know the medium, yeah, but sure. I I do find indie games usually more charming i'm like oh i really want to give that a try mm-hmm. the, the same charm i most of the time don't really have for a lot of big releases so that's uh but i'd say it's like 50 50 i think i spend uh, like this month i spent most of my time playing lethal company but i also play a lot of my time i played like another game like a really old like schmal pride in dx that's uh, something that i've been obsessed with for months now so it's a bit 50 mm-hmm. 50 i'd say yeah i'm just curious because i feel like this is something I'd, I want to talk to a lot of Star Providence fans about, I'm realizing, because I think for people that are serious about games, once you kind of see what people are doing in the indie game space, it kind of sucks you in, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. I like. I don't think I could ever really get into the AAA scene after having spent so much time in the indie space, because 
like Mariskan said, there's just so much more charm in it and it feels so much more interesting. And I appreciate the uh, people who take a chance on weird games and experiments on art styles, mechanics, settings. And for me, that's very valuable. And I feel like the AAA space just isn't where you're going to see a lot of that. Well, there's like the Mario Wonder game, like my, like Nintendo looked at, oh, we basically shoved out the same game five times in a row for the past like two generations. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that it's some kind of bastion of creativity, but you can tell like there's more of a demand for, hey, let's uh, have one level where all, where all the trees start singing and bumping up and down and everything's in black and white. It's like silhouetted. Like there is at least... I feel like the, in the general public, there's more of a demand. Like, hey, we don't want the same thing that we've been playing for 15 years. It has to be at least, you know, a touch more creative. And I think we can attribute some of that uh, attitude to indie games. I think it maybe if uh, they didn't have like a rise back in 2015 and 16, we, we would still be getting new Super Mario Bros. Switch, and it'll be just the same slop that they've been doing for like the past five times, uh-huh. right? But I, I, th- I like to be optimistic. I think the even the big budget sphere is feeling the pressure of, okay, we can't literally just not do nothing the whole time. Like, I feel like there's a, even if the changes aren't too pronounced yet, I think we're seeing uh, a movement that's like, we want more unique and creative, you know, mechanics in our games and art styles. I sure hope so. So, Mariskan, how did you first learn about Star Providence? Well, one of the channels I was watching for like new PC releases at the time was... Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I promise this is going to go back to uh, Monolith, but I, I'm going to start this with like Total Biscuit and his co-optional podcast. He used to have a lot of guests on who would make recommendations for, hey, what have you you've been playing recently? Mm-hmm. And usually, since it's a personal recommendation, people would be like super enthusiastic about it right and yeah. one of those uh episodes that slow beef in it and he yeah. had this weird roguelike called monolith that he basically spent like 15 minutes uh telling everybody about to play oh, wow and it just looked amazing to me uh i think i watched I, I don't think i bought it immediately i think i watched his stream like for a bit um mm-hmm. like okay this is uh, because, because the footage they used in that episode was basically just like stage one over and over again. I'm like, okay, well, what, what else is there in this? Yeah. And I think I lied to you at some point, Nick. I think I said I started playing the game in 2017. I looked up like my receipts in Steam, bought the game on January 8th, 2018. So I'm not a 2017 player. I'm sorry I lied. I bought <laughs> the game in 2018. It's fine, it's fine. Same day, I believe. So. <laughs> It's fine. You're still, relatively speaking, an ancient player in that regard. So it's all cool. Yes. Yes. So, so that was it. It was like a slow a recommendation from Slow Beef and the Co-optional Podcast, and you just got hooked right away. Essentially, I think I literally just got hooked. I don't think there was any like getting used to, you know, this kind of gameplay phase. I immediately just saw it like. This is one of the coolest games I've ever seen. I need to play this. And this was when uh, I think everybody was a bit worse. So, like, getting to floor six was like, like you know, oh, holy shit, there's someone I can actually do this consistently, right? Like, that was. (laughs) 
<laughs> our standards were a bit lower back then for what was a good run. Oh, and the first sub ten floor five run. Ooh, yeah, I got the whole server shaking. But uh, I remember that, man. So, so like this is what I. This is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you in as a guest because you've been around since early two thousand eighteen and. Compared to most people, that's been a long, long time. That was that's only like six months after the game came out, and you know, I wanted to see if you had like any memories or stories as someone who has been there a long time, like that you hold fondly and that you think, oh man, <laughs> newer players just don't know that this happened at one some point. And yeah, something like sub ten floor five runs that was. That was something that I was chasing for a long time, and I'm I'm so happy when I got it. Yeah, for sure. And I remember like the, I, well, okay, the the for some reason over the updates, the amount of money you got just kept getting bigger and bigger. But the old achievement, <laughs> like the impossible riches, I think yeah. no, actually that wasn't the hardest. What was the hardest one to get? But that one was like uh, that was monumentally difficult. Like so many things had to go right in around. Oh, you don't didn't get salvage first floor. Boom, restart, basically. Yeah. And I like uh, sometimes I I, I it, well I didn't remember to write down their names because I didn't know I was going to do this podcast six years later, but I do remember like some people being like like uh, I can vaguely remember their profile pictures and them getting like really happy of finally getting the achievement. Stuff <laughs> I like mean, that. I, th- I think if people wouldn't know it these days, but back then, uh, Ika was the king of score running by far. Nobody could touch him. Like when people were struggling to get. 200k Ika would be getting like 250k runs mm-hmm. because and this is true what he used to do was like right so one way to get extra scrap is to fight more bosses how do you fight more bosses well you wipe your save file you on the first run you go all the way to overlord and then your second run you fight both uh bloke as special offer and renegade oh to gosh. get extra cash for the run, and that's part of how he managed to get such high score runs even back then. Yeah, and the achievement now, I don't even know what the value is anymore. It's like 300,000 or 300. Now the highest score achievement is 300k, and there's people who can get like 500k, which so... (laughs) We've thrown a lot since then. Yeah. Not that I'm saying that it used to be definitely that much better, but I, I remember it being a lot more special for also for the, the like the personal experience. Like, wow, I worked like a lot harder to get this, and it feels really cool to finally see that big number show up at the end, right? Yeah, because we also had much fewer resources. We didn't have the guide. We didn't have the wiki. A lot of the mechanics, we kind of didn't really know how they worked. We were just kind of going on like in- intuition. Yeah, I didn't sure i it's uh they'll come up later too but uh, i was just making assumptions left and right like oh this makes sense to me it's probably w- would work like this yeah like and it's not that the devs weren't there at the time they were there but we just kind of we weren't trying to extract every little bit of information out of it like we do these days and mm-hmm. i'm glad we have the the wiki and everything now but i remember back then it was just kind of a bit of a mystery how you were supposed to play the game that's a fun time to be involved with the game, though. You know, when the community is there trying to suss out all the details, all the mechanics, how everything clicks together. That's pretty neat that you were both present through that 
I have to say though, I, I was part of me was hoping that you would say that your uncle visited you and he installed Star Providence onto your computer. Oh, <laughs> that would have been too, that, I, no, that would just be like the whole part, like rest of the episode. Oh, how to get involved in the guide? Oh, my uncle wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, oh man! I've never actually played the game. He's always been doing it for me during the races. <laughs> oh man! So, uh, Mariscam, what about Star of Providence has kept you engaged with it for so long? You started in 2018, mm-hmm. January 8th. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And you're still with us, so you're still here. You're still talking about it. I, 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 I think it comes. Yeah, I, 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 but like the whole, I think I mentioned it earlier. Like, it, like certain games to me just mm-hmm. have so much charm that I basically can't look away. This is also true for a lot of my other favorite games ever. Like, uh, I don't know if you've ever played Okami or Beautiful Joe, like the Clover Studio Both. games. Yes. Yeah, those are like two of my favorite games ever. Probably played way too like unhealthy amounts of it. And some people will be like, well, you know, if I get my uh, design, a game design book next to me, it says that you shouldn't spend that much time or this many like mechanics and stuff like that. But I just find them endlessly watchable, playable, likable. And same mm-hmm. goes for uh, Star of Providence. I have to remember what name to say at this point. But <laughs> another thing I think that makes it so replayable for me is like a lot of the, okay, I don't want to throw too much shade at other Pokelex, but for example, I have always kind of had like a, I've always made fun of Isaac, like how uh, basically if you don't get items, you are reduced to this like shot type that's mm-hmm. unbelievably annoying to play with. Like the tears that don't quite align with where you're shooting have a bit of inertia and they mm-hmm. make enemies like the spiders in the first, uh, like uh, in the cellar that whose movement is basically made to dodge like that specific shot type because it's slow and they move and crawl all around. Mm-hmm. And Star Province is like, well, if you don't get, you know, an OP gun, the run doesn't turn into like a slog. Like mm-hmm. nothing slows down for too long. Like you're you're at a disadvantage and you're probably gonna get hit a bunch, but it never feels like, oh, I'm getting screwed over by the game. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. this like you can you can beat the game uh with the default shots without uh like the upgrade terminals mm-hmm. it's gonna be a bit longer but it doesn't even feel bad like it just uh it just tests you a bit better i will say you know of all the games isaac i feel it, it's okay to throw shade at it because pure <laughs> himself has faced has been very upfront that yeah something i like isaac but there's a lot of things about it that annoy me so i made a game that does it better <laughs> Yeah, and like the I don't I even know I, I could go down the whole enemy list for Monolith and be like I think this is so cool. Oh, this one where it only activates uh like the the what are they called like the martyrs like they only activate once you kill one of them. So yeah. even if you have a shit weapon, you just you know shoot this one enough, shoot this one enough. Like it, it's testing not just your firepower and dodging ability, but also like you, your recognition. Like oh, this is how these enemies work, and you know stuff that, like. Enemy priority, awareness, positioning. Like, there is a surprising amount of depth that goes into playing Star of Providence well. Like, anyone can sort of get through a run, but to do well requires you to understand how all of these pieces work together and to have like a deep understanding of all of the interactions. So, I guess what, what you're trying to get at is that 
Isaac kind of feels a bit bullshit, but Sir Providence makes it fair and rewards you for paying attention and focusing on the right things. Yeah, and it's not like uh, in like the one of the things people know about Isaac is oh you get the brimstone with like a homing shot and it you're overpowered but monolith sorry Star Providence <laughs> sorry, I remembered myself uh, like that it has those moments too like the like the iconic what what I thought used to be like the best of this one I saw you use like the pulsar with the shotgun the widespread yep. like, that was amazing but you know then you learn like oh this kind of like homing scatter shot. Uh, fireball like that also just looks cool. Every like uh, like there's it so feels many good to shoot. It feels good yeah. to use. Yeah. There are also just really overpowered items and stuff in in Monolith. So it's not like the that's like lost in there somewhere by making things like really you know flat or something. Like the highs are still there and, ba- and basically none of the downsides in my opinion. I well, Pure has made it clear that he still wants there to be those rare runs where you just happen to find something insanely powerful. Mm-hmm. But he, Team D13 in general, has made sure to make the game such you don't need any of that stuff to win. It's nice, and it gives you a very easy time, but you can still definitely win with basic tools. The game is designed so that you don't, you don't have to meet a certain threshold of power to progress. You can just do it with what, with what you already have. You just have to know how to utilize it. Yeah, they, they want you to feel challenged at times. But they don't want you to feel shitty. <laughs> well, it, it's the I I, I I try to make the distinction between something being bullshit and mm-hmm. something being a slog. Like sometimes in Gunshin, what they do, like in the later loops, they have the same bullet enemy, but to make it more difficult, they just double its health. Yeah, it's that's like, a- and that's the kind of difficulty that I really hate because it all it just makes the game slower, not even more difficult. It's just things take longer. And yeah. that, luckily, like nobody at D2 was like, okay, well, we're just going to, you know what we're going to do? In the final floor, we're just going to have the ghosts, but they have triple the health. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm yeah. very, you've got some actual scary shit that's down there, right? Yeah. You, yeah. You... Like, uh, engorged. That's that's down there. Have fun with Whoa. that. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's not just, a, well, that's a whole bunch of ghosts to get at. I guess that's what the engorged is, but... Do you want to talk a little bit about participating in what was then called the monorail tournaments? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, like, I, I think I mentioned it before. I'm mostly like I, I, a bit of a lurker in discords. Like I usually don't think, oh, I have something really important to say. So that kind of at some point made me feel like, oh, I don't really feel part of this community, even though I, it's a game that I have like five hundred hours in. I don't really do much with it. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, we're going to have like a bit of a tournament. Like still, I think it was a bit casually presented. Like, hey, this is not like, uh, you know, the Thunderdome. This is just like people playing the, together, starting to see who's best. At the time, it was kind of pretty casual because there were, we didn't have, we weren't very organized and there wasn't a lot of like momentum behind it. So it was just kind of like, hey, let's just sit, get together and just stream a bunch of races. And I think that was really good because that made me... Uh, like feel I guess welcome in that mm-hmm. sense. Like I didn't feel like oh I need to have like my banner real crap like ready. Like oh mm-hmm. look at my like my times here. I can just join in. 
mm-hmm. and see how uh, far I'm able to get. I don't remember my placement. Did I get second in that one or did I die you got earlier? Second. You definitely got second, I believe, in Monorail 2. Okay, that, that might be it, yeah. But uh, I, I, that, that, that's still how I remember the old Monorails. Just like, even though I am trying really hard, it never felt like... Uh, uh, like, I, like You sometimes read like uh, or hear about like athletes, how they basically feel like they're dying if they don't win something. <laughs> it was more like... Uh, well, I, I am really engaged. But it's mm-hmm. also just like uh, it feels like I'm playing with friends that I actually never talked to, but it still gets that impression across. Yeah, I think one of the aspirations I had with with monorail and sprint was like have it be a bit of a community event that would sort of get people to joining, be together, and get to, in some sense, become familiar with each other. Like not necessarily be the best of friends, but like these are people that you play the game with multiple times. And you can sort of test each other, push each other a little bit in a kind of friendly way. Well, you know, how well can you can you play this game? Can you do it better than me? Friendly competition that would kind of foster a closer knit community. And I'm glad that at least for one person it achieved that. I, I got the impression that's how most people experienced it. <laughs> well, I'm very insecure about these things, so I'm thank you for letting me know. Well, I, I, it deserves to be mentioned, I guess. I, I don't know how... Like, I, I don't know what's going on inside your head, like your reasons for hosting this kind of stuff. But I, uh, I believe that's how people experience these, like as a mm-hmm. both serious and competitive, but also very friendly and welcoming environment. Yeah, I agree, because I was invited to participate and I am not a good racer. <laughs> and I remember ex- ex- uh, expressing some... Um, hesitation, you know, like ah, I probably shouldn't do this because I'm not on the level of anyone that's playing. And everyone was like, no, just join in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I definitely felt the same way, Mariskin. It was very welcoming, very friendly. And um, I think that overall it was a, a net positive for for the games community, you know. One of the worries that I always had was like, especially from some of the other communities that I had seen, you kind of have this thing where you have a stratification of players based on skill level. It's like you have the top, top players, and then you have these this hierarchy, and then you have with the the newcomers below. And I'm like, I'm not sure if that's how I want to do this. I want it to be very much, you don't have to prove yourself to be part of this. You don't have to show that you're good at the game to you know participate. Like, I want it to be very open. Like, you know, mm-hmm. with some minimum of like, okay, you need to have like an account for Discord, an account for streaming. You need to have certain availability, like s- certain practical considerations. But sure, we don't ask you how good you are at the game because that's not the point, really. The point is to just get together and have fun doing this. And there have been um, players who say, "Oh no, I'm terrible. I'm not very good at this. I'm probably just gonna like you know be knocked out immediately." And they make it further than they expect. So. You know, I'm I'm glad we don't we don't we didn't do that, and we just be like, if you want to be part of it, just be part of it. You want to just join in. You want to be part of a casual exhibition race? Go for it. Like, just I want people to feel like they can just step into this and be part of it, however they feel comfortable. And I hope that in the future, I can continue doing that. And 
If you don't mind me saying so, Mariscan, I do hope I get to see you in some form or another participating in future events. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. I, I always, whenever you ask it, I feel like I have to preface what I haven't raced in a long time, so don't expect me to be like the best <laughs> ever. But I also know that's not like the concern. It's more mm-hmm. of like, getting people together. So yeah, I'll, I'll always join these whenever I can. Mm-hmm. Well, that being said, I, uh, I, I do want to link the race between you two, that final race from uh, Monorail 2 in the description. Because if any listeners haven't seen that, it's a great watch. No, I remember that. I was so... Te- because it's a, it was a best of three. I know it was a best of three because I asked you at that time, do you feel like doing a best of five? And the answer was, it's very late over here. I need to get oh, some... yeah. <laughs> I don't think I could have done that. No, it's very fair. <laughs> And, you know, so it, it was like one race, one race. And so we were down to the last race of the tournament. <laughs> and at some point, I had fallen like almost a floor behind you. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I just need to focus. And then I just <laughs> I just go as fast as I possibly can. And I just barely managed to catch up, catch up and then go past you. But I was feeling extremely nervous the entire time because I want to say it on the record. At that moment in time, for me, Mariscan was the most terrifying opponent I could think of. Like Mariscan is being very humble and saying, oh, I'm not that good. Oh, I'm just not good of a racer. And I was watching him along the tournament, his times. I'm like, he's real fast too. Like I'm scared of going up against him because he has a real shot of knocking me out and i'm i'm still surprised i managed to persevere because i think you're better than you give yourself credit for because even though you may not have you may not do racing or playing all the time you have such a good grasp on the game as a whole that you manage to sort of make your way through it with a lot of ease and in a way that's this kind of quiet but very strong kind of skill that makes you a formidable opponent. And I don't know. I'm just, yeah, please do link it in the description, Malachi, because it, it's a it's a blast. I will. That one was a nail biter. Yeah, I know. I was there. Uh, Mariscan, on the, on the heels of Nick's praise here, I wanted to ask you if you race or speed run any other games. That I can, no. I, I've never even thought about. I actually never... I don't, I don't know. I'm not like big into speedrunning. I watch GDQ. I watch like other. Sometimes I'll check a content creator video on like, mm-hmm. uh, oh, this is what the how the portal community got the record down to ten seconds. Mm-hmm. You know, something like that. And I I find those really captivating. Mm-hmm. Uh, the closest thing to speedrunning, I guess, that I do is like the aforementioned shmups. I'll play those for score. Yeah. Uh, but even then, like I find it really hard to. Like find something that would be close to speed running. Besides that, really. Hmm. Interesting. So, it was more your love of Star of Providence that brought you into monorail at the time than it was your love of like racing or speed running. Well, for sure. I wow. don't think I've ever speed run anything else. Hmm. I, I, except I, I played like I, I speed ran Super Godzilla as a joke for like a month. But that was, <laughs> never as something that I was like, oh, I'm gonna be like good at the game, right? Huh. Like it's entirely like I, I'm playing this game casually for 500 hours. I want to, you know, see what that translates to, mm-hmm. into like uh, in racing or in speedrun. 
Yeah, so you ended up helping Questcom, the creator of one of the earliest game guides that was on Steam. You kind of updated their guide post relics of the past DLC release. How did that come about? I think, uh, well, Questcom had like this incredibly detailed guide. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was definitely like the biggest source of like a central place of where you could find like info on the game. And definitely. I think he, he expressed that he uh, didn't play the game actively anymore. So he wanted someone else to update essentially the guide for Relics of the Past. I think he just asked in like the Discord. Uh, and I was like, well, okay, this is what my thinking was at the time, five years ago. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I play this game a lot, I bet, you know, and I don't really do, like, I'm not a creative person, so I don't make like fan art for the game, but I want to feel like I'm contributing to the community. So, you know, mm-hmm. I'll, I want to give this a try. Like, uh, let me update it for Relics of the Past. I think I, in hindsight, I could should have done a way better job. <laughs> I feel like I, like, a, like I'm not a writer. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, whenever, I, when, when it came time to like, okay, so here's the list of weapons that need to be filled in. This weapon, it's like the the snowblower, for example. I, mm-hmm. Is that that's even a name? I can't remember exactly, but you know the it one is, I mean, yeah. right? It you is. Know the one I mean. So how am I going to describe this weapon? This weapon is like a leaf blower, but for snow or something. <laughs> like it's it's kind of it's not really like consistent in writing uh-huh. across like every uh, item. So I think that might have made for like a not great reading experience. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I I did remember. I tried to be like uh, whenever I could find like hard data. I would like if it if it wasn't like known out as the depth. So I did try to be at least like accurate in that department. But I remember, or I I, I tried to reread the guide like two years later. I'm like, oh, this is not great. But luckily <laughs> at the time, someone was also was like starting the wiki. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, it might have started like at that point. I'm, I'm not sure exactly where in the process. Also, I'm like, okay. Uh, people can copy the good parts of my guide and they can, you know, rework the, the stuff that's not so great. Uh, yeah, because I remember that when the wiki was starting, that guide was used as kind of a source for a lot of data. And it was only then with pe- when people like Rutabaga started really digging into it that we realized that even then that data from the guide was not quite right, but we just, there was no way to know at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, 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 and like I couldn't, I couldn't possibly tell you what I was thinking with each like entry. I remember, I remember doing my best, like at least like if I didn't know something, I would try to ask the devs or like other people that that would be like the other source. If they didn't respond, I'll just ask like the Discord. Hey, does anybody know how much damage this does? I have no idea. But yeah, and that was in the end, it was not really verified. But I, yeah, like, I. I out of the things I used to do, like for community related stuff, I wish I had done a better job at least like making sure like it was thoroughly like researched or something. But uh, it, and at the moment, like the reason I went for the guy was because I wanted to feel that I was doing something back like for the game that I cared a lot about because I couldn't do it in like a creative aspect because I don't write, I don't do art. So mm. this is kind well, of my way of being involved. Well, yeah, well, you were definitely contributing. And yeah. I think the inaccuracies kind of, it points back to what both of you mentioned that, you know, in the early days of playing the game, before people were really digging into it and doing deeper research, it was instinctual, you know? And I, so in that respect, the guide was extremely useful. Yeah, I think the the value of the guide, at least before the wiki existed, 
was not necessarily in being a perfectly accurate document, but it giving newer players or players with a lot of questions uh, something that they can consult. And even if it didn't give them completely perfect information, it, they felt equipped with that knowledge that they could better understand how to play the game better. Even if it turned out it wasn't quite right, it, it did the job of helping and guiding players. And that's, the I think, the true value of that guide. And I am very thankful for you, for your work, for contributing. And I know that feeling of wanting to contribute something to a community, but feeling like you don't know how. And this is honestly, it's very generous of you to offer and step up and to take care of this project. Yeah, thank you. That's kind of how I tried to see it at the time. Like, uh, you know, trying to give back in some ways. Hey, that's how this podcast was born. So you're doing it again, Mariscan. You're contributing. Oh. <laughs> it's actually my uncle telling me in my ear what to say. <laughs> hey, and speaking of contributing, uh, you were the, eventually invited to be part of the beta testing team. So what was that like? Oh, that was, yeah, that was super cool. I, I also remember the circumstances when I, uh, like, I, I was basically starting, like, a new job. It was mm -hmm. really awful. And at some point, I just get upset, and I look at my phone, and I see, like, uh, Pure send me, Psst, hey, kid, want to beta test some cool games? <laughs> That's how I still remember it. And that was so fun. Like, yeah, I think I, I, I probably said some really embarrassing answers, like, yes, 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 in capital letters, like, five times in a row. But, uh <laughs> Yeah, that's been super cool. Like uh, seeing what's coming up, like the ideas of what the developers have in mind, seeing what doesn't work and what gets scrapped, what, what needs like uh, tweaking. It's uh, I, I don't know how to describe it. I guess it's a it just it's just a cool experience of seeing of kind of following like the the thinking of the developers and how they perceive the game, how what they want to add, what they focus on, what mm -hmm. they want to see improve. Uh, Maybe sometimes throwing in my own suggestion that gets ignored because it's bad, probably. But <laughs> oh, don't worry. I I may also make a lot of suggestions that get ignored because they're also bad. <laughs> I think the thing that is interesting to see is that when you're a beta tester, you get to see a lot of experiments and attempted solutions, and then seeing which one of them ends up working. Because you you see the devs they see a problem and they try to think, okay, how can we solve it? And they try some things, and then they don't work, and try some things, they don't work, and then they arrive at a solution that works. But it's interesting to see the process of finding that solution and the dead ends that most players don't even get to know were even attempted. Yeah, that's a, basically the best way I could describe it as well. It's, uh, I guess, yeah, you, you see the path of mm -hmm. how they, uh, and it's also inspiring myself, to be fair. Like I have thought about like making, if I honestly if I made a game, it's probably going to be like a monolith clone or something like that. <laughs> like I, I like my two favorite genres are like roguelikes and shmups. So I think inevitably, even if I, you know, think go into it like an auteur mindset, I think I couldn't get away from the influence this game has had on uh, both my taste and like my ideal of like something I would ever want to try to make myself. Hmm. Yeah, I feel the same way. So Mariskan, do you have any thoughts on how the game could improve in the future? <laughs> well, like I said before, I usually have ideas. 
But then even myself, when I look at it later, like half an hour, I'm like, this is stupid. But I actually, okay, to prove that I'm a upgrade terminal super fan, I have <laughs> like, uh, I've been remembering some suggestions you guys have made over like the past uh, episodes. And one thing I would actually really, really love to see that I don't think would even be that big of an ask, like death time wise, mm-hmm. would be like uh, customizations to like uh, the ships or just more things like cosmetically uh, that we could change maybe. Mm-hmm. Like familiars. That that's still that 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 idea is still stuck with me, like having little pets or like little helpers that help you throughout the floors. Yeah. Like, uh, it doesn't need to be like I, I don't want to say, oh how do we, how do we make the game better? Well just do what Isaac did, like make new items, new weapons, new all that stuff. <laughs> like that's a bottomless pit that I realized they're already trying to like work towards like making the unique relics and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I feel like they're actually doing the, the game's already really good on that sense. I think now, if I would have like a, an ideal update, it would be something that makes the game a bit more personal. Like, oh, this is the outfit maybe that I like. I have no idea. Something that's that's kind of how I imagine like a, a dream update basically for the game. You have anything you want to plug? I, I have a lot of accounts that I never use. I have a Twitter that I never use, a, a Twitch. But I, I do actually, if, if the idea... Because most of my stuff that I put on YouTube is like shmup related stuff. Mm-hmm. But if there are people who look at this game and like like the rope or the bullet hell aspect of it or like the actiony, like oh crafts and stuff, like I do have a lot of shmup videos on my channel. If there's something maybe you you you've been curious, like all the, like what are the other influences on this game? I play a lot of games that also appear as mentioned. I think in like previous interviews that have inspired. Uh, certain aspects of like monoliths design, like cave games and stuff. So, okay, if that's something you're interested in, like looking at, I have a few videos of that on the just Mariscan on YouTube. It's the name that I use everywhere else as well. Okay, awesome. We will link that in the description. Mariscan, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being here. It has been a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for listening to our Star of Providence fancast. Big thanks to Garoslaw for allowing us to use his music and sound effects. Be sure to check out all of the Star of Providence soundtracks on Garoslaw's Bandcamp, the base game soundtrack, Relics of the Past soundtrack, and the 5th Anniversary Edition soundtrack. If you have any comments or suggestions for the show, you can reach out to us on our Discord server, and we will be posting that link in the show description below. And there you will find fellow pilots to talk with and discuss the show. Thanks for listening. We'll hope you'll join us next time. This is what you came for, isn't it? So be it.